Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Classic Lenses podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello, Carl. Hey, good morning, Simon. And we have Johnny Sisson in Chicago, Illinois. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And joining us today from a volcanic island and somewhere in the South Pacific stroking a white cat, I'm delighted to say we have M from Emulsif.org on the show. Hello, M. Evening. It's a turtle thingy cat. Tortoise, turtle. It's one of those funny coloured ones. And, and do you look a little bit like Donald Pleasant? <laughs> well, D- Donald is a very nice man. I wouldn't assume myself to be as handsome as he is. But uh, <laughs> some people have said that there is a passing resemblance. Yes, yes. Well, uh, moving on. Last week, uh, we thought we were going to have a relatively short show by talking about buying lenses on eBay. But it's, it got derailed by uh, lots of talk about filters and how it affects things on film. And uh, it turned into something of a monster. Um, this week, we're going to be talking to M about an obsession that most of us share with him um, about adapting old lenses, except that M does things a little bit differently in that he adapts old lenses to other old film cameras. But before we get on to that, here's Johnny with some feedback from last week's show. Yeah, and I think we're going to start with um, the feedback that, Simon, you got directly on your Instagram um, via I underscore am underscore Miss MR underscore setters. I guess that's I am Mr. Setters. Um, uh, anyway, um, Mr. Setters says, I hope it's a bit more positive than the last episode. Uh, it all got a bit patronizing and condescending. I stopped listening halfway through, and it's definitely left a bad taste. Simon, would you like to explain that taste you left in Mr. Setters' mouth? <laughs> right, well... Um... I must admit that that came as quite a surprise to me because specifically there we're, we're talking about the uh, episode twenty five with uh, Hamish and uh, and and Jimmy D and um, and I don't I'm not it's not specifically aimed at uh, those two I think it's uh, pretty much uh, leveled leveled at the the show as a whole <laughs> and um, and I was really really surprised to actually hear anything bad about that episode because there were. Um, the, the the feedback we'd actually had from it and continue to have from it um, has been absolutely excellent. So I was I was a little bit surprised, and uh, so I, I I reached out um, to I am Mr. Sedders, and uh, we had a uh, we had a little uh, Instagram direct message chat uh, where I um, got to understand uh, his point of view and to 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 see you know where it where it was coming from there, and it was it was an interesting chat. And uh, it was. It certainly uh, made me think about things about the way we actually do the podcast in a, in, in a certain way. And the, uh, the the crux of his point was that um, there was a lot of talk about things that, uh, in quotes, bad photographers do. And um, and I think it, the way that the, the conversation um, went, it was a, perhaps a little bit of a almost like a backslapping club, if you, if you like, as in like we're all uh, of a certain level, should we say, and um, we're not bad photographers, but there are bad photographers out there. Um, and it was it, that was the the, the condescending uh, part of it, and I and it was interesting because I thought, yeah, I, I didn't actually think of it at the time in in that capacity, and I don't think anybody that was on the show would actually um, deliberately uh, want to come across that way. But I can certainly understand how it could 
come across that way. And uh, now I've put it into into context for myself was perhaps if I was listening um, or overhearing some particularly um, top photographers, shall we say, um, people that earn thousands and and their work is world recognized and uh, perhaps they were um, having a conversation and they started talking about photographers or even ourselves on the Classic Lenses podcast as being, I don't know, in, 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 a, in a derogatory manner and how would I actually feel about that? And, um, and that sort of put me in the same shoes as, as perhaps, you know, some of these people that we were calling bad photographers. So I think it was just a, a, a point really of just, you know, thinking about how we actually portray uh, ourselves and how we, how we come across. And I think he had a, he had a, he had a fair, fair point there. So uh, I don't know what uh, you guys think about that. So I, I don't think that anything like that was intended by those guys. Um, but I will say, um, as a bad photographer, I, I had to have an extra beer that evening because I was really upset by the whole thing. <laughs> I think Mr. Setters is actually Gary Fong. That's my theory. <laughs> I think it's. I think. I think. I think he's in. Uh, you know, it's a like an alternate account thing. Kind of when Donald Trump would call people pretending to be his publicist. You know that kind of thing. Something like that. I don't know. No, I. I. I you know what? I, I get that exactly because we were just kind of. I mean, they, Jimmy and Hamish are just dishing. It was. You know, I think it was all in good fun. It just to really. Uh, great personalities that mesh well dishing together, yep. um, but I, I I know what he means. I I, I I I'm a shit photographer. I don't know. I mean, I, I I think there's a difference between calling out crap images versus calling people crap photographers. And I think most photography is complete garbage, and most of mine is complete garbage. But that's different than saying it's like personal about the photographer i think it's just about the output you know mm. i th- i mean I, that's the way i would take the comments that were made is that i don't think they were saying people were bad photographers so much as that they make bad images which <laughs> if anybody yeah. wants to defend the fact that they're not a bad photographer and say how great their hdr images on are i mean let's have at it because you're full of shit, but no, sure. Johnny, I, I have to put a way in on this. I completely agree with where you're coming from because uh, I, I don't think, you know, listening to the, the five of you that were on the podcast that day, and, you know, regardless of what I think about Hamish as a photographer, <laughs> um, you, know, it, it you guys weren't calling out bad photographers. It was more a case of calling out what was bad examples of posted uh, sorry bad examples of photography posted on social media to get specific reaction and you know pulling back a little i think you know perhaps where where you guys were coming from was from a position of you know photography as reality and i i don't consider myself as a as a good photographer at all i take photos i take some good photos now and again but you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you won't catch me in the pages of Magnum or you know the ICP or, or people like that. And I and I don't get, I don't get as a listener, I don't get that impression from this particular podcast either. I think anyone who takes, who takes the opinion that you're bashing, photog- bashing bad photographers is actually someone who potentially uh, exhibits the kind of desire to create the kind of photography that you were pushing up against and it's true 
HDR is a bane on the no, it's not a bane. HDR is a is a a poorly squeezed pimple on the arse of humanity. <laughs> badly badly executed HDR, which which is most of you know what most 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 HDR photos are. And there was I can't remember which one, but there was a particular baseball club um, in the US just just last week. They posted this ridiculous sunset over the stadium, and. <laughs> Um, you know they got they got called out in the comments because you know there was some dude saying I was there I took the photo this same photo on my you know D3s D4s you know whatever with this particular lens it looks nothing like what you've done you're just doing this to make make this environment look like it's fantastic it never looked like that it will never look like that you know uh, anyway so you know I think to take these kind of comments with with a pinch of salt I think. You know, retrospect in terms of what what you're doing and and how you're positioning yourselves as as a podcast is fantastic, but you know, don't don't let anybody tell you what you're doing is wrong. I mean, there's only three of you, and trust yeah. me, I've listened to your episodes. You guys are not in an echo chamber. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 was, I was going to say, I I I, I still think he, he 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 made a fair a fair comment there, and um, and it's something that um, I've certainly taken on board at least but i think that my takeaway from all this is that uh, people are actually taking this seriously which is quite shocking to me um well, and, and, and wrong <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and, that, and i think that's that's the thing because it ultimately it, it's it's three 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 people and guests just having a chat amongst themselves uh, talking about Absolutely. a subject that we we enjoy and we and we get quite passionate about it and, I, and and it's certainly the case our listeners get passionate about or, or are passionate about the subject and um and that ultimately is going to lead to reactions so i think in as far as future episodes are concerned uh, I'll, put, I'll put my apology in front now I, you know, none of us set out to to offend anybody except uh, uh james with uh, gary fong and um and, and probably em and uh, hamish <laughs> to each other um, but, but um, generally speaking, yeah, we 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 absolutely don't want to belittle people and, and things like that. And also, actually, on our uh, the Facebook group which, where this all started from, photography with classic lenses, we pretty much jump on anybody that tries to belittle anybody in the group um, when they they say something uh, negative or necessarily negative about about a photograph. Because you know, we, we're not a uh, uh, constructive criticism group. People just put their stuff up there and uh, and, and and share it. And, you know, it's not about yeah, yes, some people put better photographs up than others, but we welcome every photograph because ultimately yeah. we enjoy people using old lenses on whether it be film cameras or on digital cameras. And that's really what this podcast is about and it's what we're about as a as a Facebook group. Yep. It's interesting you say that, Simon, because I, I noticed there was uh, on the cover photo that's currently up um, on on the Facebook group that somebody had made kind of a, a, a you know, constructive criticism comment that yeah okay i i i, I kind of i like the approach but the shot's kind of crappy and you basically just said this you know what you just said you said sort of in a comment there and i i, I mean it, it's funny because it was not a, it's not like it was a really incisive oh this photo is complete crap it was just kind of a mildly i don't like the result but even that is really you sort of corrected that that's not what the group is about it's so unless someone has kind of invited that sort of feedback that's just not the way we operate in that group you know which i i kind of think is a good thing um because i i think it's really difficult to have any sort of <laughs> uh, constructive criticism feedback stuff on 
the internet period because it's just everybody brings a different approach and i think the basic rules of you know of critique are just don't exist on the internet and it i it it just it reminds me of something that i heard when i was I, I used to work at the school of the art institute of chicago which is kind of you know what really well-known art university and i i remember once we had a guest speaker and i wish i could attribute this comment to this person, but I don't remember who made the comment, but they basically said that, you know, when you get invited to do something like be a guest speaker in any sort of creative environment, like an art school, and you're asked to give feedback that the starting point has to be that you assume the person whose work you're critiquing, whether it's good, bad, horrible, whatever, it's the best work they're capable of producing probably at that point in time. Um, and they've, they've sort of tried to do something and if it didn't work, it didn't work, but you have to, that has to be the starting point. Right. So, yes. and, and, so, so, and I, and I, I, I'd like to think that we, we do that, that we start from the point of it's, you know, the photographer is trying their <clears> best. Their work may be crap and it's okay to call the work crap, but you wouldn't call the people crap for trying to make the work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> no, that, it, it anyway. does make sense. That actually echoes something that um, someone I know on Twitter um, said to me in a, in, a, in a conversation months ago, maybe, maybe years ago. And it was, um, <clears throat> as the person completing the critique, you need to be less worried about what you want from the photograph versus what the person who captured it Brilliant. wanted from the photograph. So you need to understand their motivations. And I believe yeah. that was Monica, that's uh, Dr. Mars Rover on Twitter. And I mean... You know, she's gone through her her fair version of receiving as well as as well as giving um, photographic critique, and I just thought that was that was so insightful for her to say because, you know, anyone on on any forum on the internet, and I don't mean a forum just as a place for discussion. You know, anyone, regardless of whether that place happens to be specifically for photographic critique, if they see a photo they don't like, they'll they'll say something about it, and maybe they won't take the time to say it in the way that they would do in a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, it, you know, in the same way that someone sees a nice photo on, you know, 500 bloody PX and just says nice capture, which is, you know, I hate that. Um, but it's, you know, p p people will make positive and negative comments both ways. And, and because it's the internet, they won't think about the best way to structure that and the best way to, to, to kind of explain where they're coming from. It's either nice or it's shit. You know, it's an upvote or downvote, one star or five. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we I think we're done on that one, Jim, uh, Johnny. Do you want to uh, let's let's talk about some more feedback? Okay. All right. Um, why don't I maybe pull some comments uh, out of the feedback from last week's episode, uh, which I guess has, as you said, as we've all kind of said just seemed to generate a lot of feedback um uh there, god we touched i guess we touched on so many subjects so this is kind of all over the place but i'll just read through a few and we can um so steve new said uh we had a little bit of conversation about uh customs charges in terms of buying buying on ebay and we we had a bit of conversation there about why they do or do not get get charged which uh, of course is different you know, depending on where you are in the world, but in, in the U S um, it, it's not until something is over a couple of grand that there's import fees, but that doesn't stop 
some delivery services from charging their own fees that they call customs fees. So we talked we talked a little bit about that. Uh, ben, we talked a little bit about uh, the 30-day return policy on eBay. I mean, Ben Ben Kudo mentioned that um, and how to kind of deal with that situation. Um, let's see, Mike Ekman. Um, I I could do this whole all of this. I should have done this feedback differently. I should have only mentioned the comments talking about how great my comments were. Uh, because Mike, Mike said that, um, (laughs) (laughs) I just can't do that. I'd try, I wish I could pull that off, but I can't. Anyway, Mike, uh, Mike said he agreed with, uh, my comments about, um, that you, you really have to develop your own black and white and probably even scan it yourself if you really want to see what's going on there. Um, uh, Nelson really like Johnny's breakdown on using filters uh, and, and how, how that, um, uh, how that affects ISO film ISO and uh, contrast and, and such. Um, there was uh, some, some talk and maybe, yeah, maybe you can, you can enlighten us here a bit on this. Uh, Baz WF said on the topic of buying cameras from Japan on eBay, does anyone know why the, photo style and item descriptions are so similar among listings. I've heard rumor that really it's just a handful of sellers <laughs> with different usernames that have most of the listings. I also heard that it's because sellers use the same translation program, but that doesn't explain the photos looking alike. Just curious. All right. So, so let's flip it around. Um, you are somebody who's trying to <clears throat> sell something that you have, that you believe has value to a completely foreign audience. What are you going to do? You're going to look for examples of people doing exactly the same thing. Um, so that's why you get the you know very similar kind of poorly machine translated descriptions on fungus and and timers and and shutter speeds and all of that kind of stuff. As far as the way of taking specific product images go, I think you can have a look at product images or good product images on any website, and you'll see a trend. I think looking at looking at eBay specifically and looking at one particular nationality selling products on eBay is like looking at a I don't know looking at a tide pool on a beach and saying this is all there is in the sea. Very good. Yeah. I it, I mean it's something we've certainly talked about in the past that, that you know some of the phraseology is now just like sort of wonderfully infamous you know there is no oh, tiny scratch there isn't you know it, we've talked about that a lot and i mean it's i love it it's one of the best parts of of ebay actually is to me yeah, is, no. is japanese things they're brilliant it's if you take if you take um if, if you write <clears throat> write very simple descriptions of you know there is no haze there is no fungus there is no scratch yeah. there is no blah blah blah, blah. you know all, all of the stuff that you if you just put that into how you would describe that in a bullet point in English, yeah. use Google Translate, slap that, into, slap that into Japanese, slap it into Chinese, and then flip it back into English. See what you get. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, it, it's it, it's it's crazy. The the other thing to think about is some of the really weird translations. Um, they may actually be literal in in the sense that. You know, there's a lot of phraseology. I mean, you know, I I I um, spend a lot of time in parts of the world that, that speak Mandarin, for example, and you know, I spent years learning Mandarin. And there's there's really really weird 
ways to describe things in Mandarin in the sense that they don't make any sense when you describe them in English. However, yeah, when, you yeah. talk about, when you talk about them in Mandarin, it makes perfect sense. You know, when you talk about the, the, the jade of a lens, for example, that's the coating. Um, huh. so, when, so when you're talking about stuff, and it's, you know, Hong Kong sellers, Singaporean sellers, uh, Chinese sellers, Taiwanese sellers, even some Malaysian sellers, you know, the, these guys who, who may be um, native Mandarin or Cantonese or, or other dialect speakers, you know, that they, they will use machine translation because it just makes sense. And, and to be completely honest, you can look at stuff that comes out of uh, Romania, uh, mm -hmm. Germany, comes out of yeah. Russia, and you look at that stuff that's been machine translated, and it, it is ridiculous if you consider <laughs> I, you have, yeah. Uh, it's 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 funny because I I, I and, and I mean I I could be making a, a also a maybe um I, a positive cultural assumption that's just as equally wrong but I've always felt that the that sort of maybe the the Japanese style of doing it is founded in a certain ethos that there's just a right way to do things and if there's a best example to be found people are going to kind of go out of their way to follow that best example whereas if you look at like american ebay listings are just a mishmash of crap which is basically describing america um and i i, I mean i to me it seems it seems like culturally really relevant actually in a certain way that japanese listings have this somewhat kind of uniformity to to them that is at least motivated by doing things the best way you know <laughs> I, I, I think you know they're, they're, i think that, that there's also the thing that you know they japanese sellers specifically know that you know they're using ebay to to sell to 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 foreign buyers they're not using ebay yeah. to sell to japanese so yeah. there, there is definitely a desire to describe stuff both visually and um descriptively in text um you know, in, in the best way that they can describe it. So th that's oh, yeah. why you get, it's, it's pretty much unique to the Japanese. You know, you, they will tell you about um, the scratches, the dust, the fungus, the fog, and the haze. You know, it's like how many, how many non-Japanese sellers actually make a differentiation <laughs> between fog and haze? I mean, none that I know of. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's kind of... No, it's that's a good it, it and actually i would i would i would say that that's actually had a positive impact on the entire marketplace for uh classic lenses i know that when i write descriptions for lenses that we're going to sell on either ebay or the website for the camera shop i describe just what you've said i differentiate between you know smoky haze which is not going to have any impact on images versus um the kind of haze that is due to like balsam separation or you know the oily stuff or whatever i mean there are like there are nuances and i and i think you're you're right that they've like made such a attempt to call out those those nuances in the ebay descriptions that it's like had a ripple right. through the entire <laughs> selling of the stuff everywhere you know sure no i think but, it's but really john, good i i you, I, I like it john you, you need to make sure that your descriptions don't sound like a Jimi hendrix song <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no, I, I like, I also, I like the Japanese descriptions um, because I probably bought 30 lenses from Japan and had only two, no, three, three that were not good. And then I, actually all three of them, 
the seller said, um, just keep the lens and I'll refund the money. And uh, it was it were issues with fungus that they didn't disclose. But um, yeah, I mean, compared to well, I'm, I'm wow. watching a I'm watching a, a Sumicron <laughs> collapsible here that's on auction right now. And it's like getting up too high now. It's getting up to six hundred and some dollars. But the description only says um, it says uh, the Sumicron collapsible lens. Some the lens is in good working order with some cleaning marks. I rated a six out of ten. Well, that's it. So <laughs> I emailed the guy and I found out some more about you know does it have oil on the blades and does the focus smooth and things like that. So I know more about it now. But there's there's people are bidding on it and maybe they're emailing too. But it's not enough information. I think from 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 what I know of um, my friends in the U.S. who who regularly go to eBay to buy stuff, you know, they will uh, a lot of them will will take a punt um, and they'll buy a lens which looks like it's suboptimal, um, knowing that they're going to have a hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy five dollar charge at the end of it to then go off and clean the damn thing. Uh, I'm I'm not sure whether that's where you come from, but it's certainly exhibited through the people that I know. I'm sorry. You know well, what? I just got. <laughs> no, no. I just got you. You, um, M. You said something a little while ago about uh, auto auto translate, uh, and how you know going from about three different languages back to English or whatever. There, there's this amazing uh, comment on the Central Camera Company's um, Facebook that got posted this past week, and it, it's someone who was in the shop, and I sort of vaguely remember this person who was in the shop, but they. They wrote like this really big uh, kind of experience post about being in the shop with all these pictures, but it's was written in, I'm not even sure the home language, which, you know, <laughs> if it's which version of Chinese it is, but it, the auto translate is just like, ama- it's like, it's like <laughs> insane poetry. You know what I mean? I, I think I'm going to have to put a link to it in the podcast notes. Cause I mean, it's, it's absolutely hilarious because they're talking about the shop where I work and, and I kind of know what they're saying, but at the same time, it sounds so bizarre. It's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Brilliant. reading that. Yeah. It's got to be done. Make sure you yep. share it. I will. <laughs> So have we have we got any more feedback or, is, or, or um, actually I guess we're still going. Okay. <laughs> How long do we want to do this for? Um, on <laughs> on mflenses.com there was some feedback as well. I think we wanted to just touch on real quick. Um, there is a person called oh my god these usernames. Uh, I'll 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 ask i ask signed up specifically to comment on the post. Happened to be one of those who, as you put it, is allergic to Facebook and there are dozens of us, wink, wink. So that, that's maybe a good comment is like not everybody's on social media necessarily that that uh, that listens to the podcast. And I actually, somebody who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and the shout outs, a guy named uh, uh, Jovan, who I met at the shop, um, at the camera shop, and I saw him again uh, this week in, in, um, he, he's not on Facebook and on social media and stuff. And he's a big film shooter guy. And he said, keep up the film talk, which I, I you know, Jovan, I had nothing to do with inviting Emma and this is not my manufacturing here. This is all Simon, but it's like, we're back on film again this week, which is amazing. So <laughs> I mean, that, to be honest, Simon did send me did send me a pack of Rolos, which is the reason why I'm here. 
um, so just back to MF lenses real quick. That I'll ask said um, he mentioned that we should maybe be talking about um, a video and folks that are using classic lenses for video production. And I know we might have something up our sleeve uh, there coming up. Um, and then we have another comment from Sio Solist said thoroughly enjoyed episode 25. Um, and <laughs> like the way the conversational flaneurs give space to the guests and see where it goes. So that was maybe a counterpoint to our other episode 25 feedback. And that's all the feedback. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks for that, Johnny. And uh, yes, we, we've got M with us, as, as, as we already know now. Um, and um, I wouldn't say that uh, M's here specifically to talk about film as such. I mean, M certainly yeah. does a lot of uh, film talk yeah. and he's uh, on his many appearances on the Sunday 16 podcast and he's got his uh, emulsive.org website, which is pretty much the go-to place if you want to know anything about film photography. Um, so but, but something that uh, I've noticed that M does and, that, and he, he adapts lots of lenses to lots of different cameras and I did a trailer post a couple of days ago and it, and it showed some of the things that he's been getting up to um, such as like putting projection lenses on a Hasselblad and, and, and stuff like that so it's uh, pretty pretty out there stuff um, so I'm, I'm going to be handed over to Em in a second because I, I'd like Em if you if you would to tell us a little bit about yourself um, you know a little bit of history I know that you um, famously don't like talking about uh, yourself in too much detail as in Em as a, uh, a pseudonym which I, I believe you uh, adapted when you left England as the fifth Earl of Stansted in disgrace and um, <laughs> and um, and um, so perhaps you could tell us a little bit more um, I'm sorry to uh, uh, blown your cover there um, about yourself um, about your photographic history and um, and the emulsive and uh, the adaptive of lenses that you do so so we've got three or four hours is, is that what you're saying <laughs> um oh, okay so um i guess talking about my myself as a as a photographer i mean um i uh, is that enough <laughs> uh, no so i mean you know, I'm a man of a certain age. I'm in my, I just turned into my early forties. Um, and like pretty much everyone of, of, of my age, you know, I started off, uh, with, um, film as being the only choice. So it was, you know, it was the only photographic medium, whether it's, um, instant or 35 mil or 120 or God knows how many variations plus, you know, Eight, you know, super eight and sixteen mil and stuff. And as as a <clears throat> as a child, as a young man, I was uh, shooting that kind of stuff just because it was it was what we did. You know, my dad or my mum would give me a camera and say, um, you know, just just grab this for a while. And as you know, I think my first camera was you know something I got from a box of Kellogg's cornflakes or Frosties or something. You know, like a a one ten flip up viewfinder kind of thing and you know that was it and and to be honest photography for me it was just i'm just you know there's something happening and i just take a photo um it's just it's just it's just something that you did and you know in into my my late teens into my early 20s it was 
you know, 35 mil compact. It was um, APS kind of cameras, which took all of those funny different kind of formats. You know, you have a panorama and stuff. And then I, I, I pretty much left it um, in the sense that I, I had cameras that I took with me to just take photos when I was traveling for work or traveling for myself. And it was just something that I did to say, oh, you know, I was, I was here. Um, I went to this place. And, um, I, you know, I, I moved, moved out of the UK um, to, to the Far East. And um, because of a couple of people here, this kind of interest in just messing about was, was rekindled. And it went from being rekindled as a, oh, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing to do to like, oh, my, you know, my God, what have I, what have I been doing for my entire life? Why have I not? been doing this for the last you know 30x years um and i went mad literally just um buying what i could cameras lenses film shooting what i could asking questions of people around me asking questions on the internet when 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 they couldn't give me an answer being told not to do stuff because it was just stupid um and doing it anyway and trying and succeeding and and just learning 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 and the whole thing for me with with film photography specifically has been it's it's given me a way of learning something that i i didn't know existed and i remember right at the you know right at the very beginning of all of all of this a, a very good friend of mine said to me look it will be quicker if you just buy a digital camera and just learn to shoot on that and I, I remember having a, a very long, very protracted um, argument, essentially, with this guy, uh, saying that's that's not the way that I wanted to approach things because actually that method hadn't worked for me over the last you know decade and a half, two decades. Um, and I, I carried on regardless, and you know it, it got to the point back in early 2015 where I was quite not quite I was very isolated from the community at large and I thought well you know I want to share what I've learned I want to share the stuff that I was told not to do um and I, I just want to get get my my photography out there just purely purely selfishly and even before I I started it it, it I, I kind of realized very quickly that there were a whole bunch of people like me out there just nobodies with a camera who enjoyed doing what they did and you know they enjoyed learning what they'd learned and they wanted to share but but their voices were set onto a low volume so i thought well if i'm going to start this this website and do this then you know why don't i try and do something that's going to you know raise the volume of their voices and that that's that's essentially what emulsive has has become it's become a place where you know, I, I, I hope um, people can share their experiences with film photography. They can share their experiences with various cameras. They can, they can share those experiences with other people who may be interested. And for me, that, that's, that's kind of, that's really what I want to do. It's what I want to share. You know, there, there's all this information that's been lost <clears throat> with the transition from film to digital. And some of that information is lost forever because the people are, are no longer with us. 
And some of the information is lost because it doesn't have an outlet. It doesn't have somewhere for people to say, oh, you know, I, I tried this with this particular film stock and this particular developer or this particular camera or this particular, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and here's what I got. So for me, being able to share that kind of, um, you know, in-camera uh, result, uh, I guess, is, is the best word for it. It, it. It's really important to just get, you know, get building some kind of library that says, you know, here is what pos- here is what is possible with this fantastic medium. And, you know, hopefully here's everything that you need to just get started. Just load a camera, just go and shoot it and see what happens. So, so when did the multi start? When did you actually press the button on it? Uh, June 1st, 2015. Wow. I mean, that's, wow. I'm, I've, so that just for explain where that wow just came from there. I, I mean, I'm on the emulsive site at the moment and it's huge. And I, I just wonder how, how do you even start something? I mean, everything has to have a start obviously, but how, how do you start to create this, this blog, this, uh, encyclopedia? How would you go about, well, how did you go about doing that from, from nothing? Well, I, I, I started, um, I started thinking about it back at the, right at the very beginning of 2015. And, you know, I think by, by that point, I think I'd shot maybe six or 700 rolls of film, I guess. Um, and I just, I just thought that, that, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that I'm proud of that I want to get out there just because, you know, I, I like this photography and I, I've heard nice things from other people. So, hey, you know, maybe there's a place for this on the web. Um, <clears throat> I, I started writing a bit kind of just in terms of documenting, um, what, you know, what I'd done. Um, and I, I just thought, well, you know, I can release, you know, la- you know, release this stuff on a blog and just, you know, you know, if you build it, they will come <laughs> kind of stuff. And that's, you know, obviously it's quite a blinkered kind of view. Um, then, you know, bearing in mind, this is right at the beginning of the year, you know, as I'm, as I'm going through it, as I'm kind of evaluating what I have, I'm thinking, well, you know, this is not enough. So I need to build out some stuff that's going to give, going to give people who read this the same help that I felt that I needed when I got started out. So it's like, okay, you know, What's a rangefinder? What's this kind of film? What's the, you know, all the really basic stuff, aperture, ISO, and shutter speed. You know, how are they related? Um, what is bokeh? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and, you know, once I had a few ideas together, I just wrote a couple of articles and I just, you know, started this website and I posted a welcome message and I posted probably about three or four articles just on, on that day. Um, and I, I think I'd been on, I think I got on Twitter exactly, exactly that day. That, that, that's when I first started. And I, I found a bunch of conversations and I just jumped in. And I just started asking questions. Um, and I just started looking at people's work and, and kind of sharing stuff. And, and it, it, kind of, it kind of went from there. I think if you're going to do it, if you're going to start, then... It, 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 it helps to have some kind of thought process behind it in terms of I've thought about the kind of stuff that I want to write about, the kind of people that are going to read this stuff and the kind of stuff that those people are going to be interested in. So you, you, you start off with a feed and then you just roll everything back into this 
this thought process. So pretty much everything that I've done over the last three and a bit years now has just been kind of, you know, everything gets fed back. Everything gets fed back. And the only thing that I, I don't take feedback on in terms of producing the next iteration is my own photography. So, you know, in and amongst sharing all of these articles and interviews and all of this kind of stuff, the, the one thing that's remained consistent throughout the entire three years is just, you know, I will post a photo every single day, Monday to Friday. I used to do two a day and it's all my stuff and it's all stuff that maybe I think is good. Maybe I think is not so good. And interestingly, the stuff that I think is not so good actually <laughs> tends to get the better reaction from people and I get better feedback from that. So, you know, although I'm pushing all of this stuff out, I still am doing stuff selfishly to kind of help me inform my own photography and, and help me learn to appreciate stuff that I, I perhaps hate, to be honest with you. It's one of the things I really um, love about, about the site is that, I mean, as I've been increasingly heading back towards film, and and it's interesting that you know I, I started with film um, and uh, then left photography completely and came back and it's only the last two years I've, I've sort of headed headed back towards it and as soon as you start to look into it it, it actually becomes quite bewildering very very quickly uh, because you've got so many different kinds of film and then you think to yourself well perhaps I want to have a go at developing and then you you, you look at developing and you think well there's this chemical there's that chemical and, and and so on and what I what I find your your site is 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 very good for is that you can dive you can dive into it and you can find information on just about anything and the, and the stuff there for uh, people that really know what they're talking about and they can sort of make the leap to the next to the next thing as a result of it and there are things there that, that, that are really helpful for the for the beginners as well I mean there's a there's something that you've been doing for a, a while um, for and that's uh, every single film stock still made today for instance and you, and you up to <laughs> the bane five. of my life yeah, but, that, that, but that's such a wonderful um, resource because I'm thinking myself. You know, well, I'm 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 quite lucky in some respects that I, I, as a as a as a camera dealer, um, I end up picking up uh, film uh, along with cameras that I buy. So I you know, I've only bought one roll of film in two years, but it just keeps on coming to me, and I keep shooting expired film. Um, there are some people that have a potential issue with that we think we should be supporting like um, new suppliers and, and things like that well I, I take the view well somebody's made it and we should use it and uh, once it's gone I'll be happy I'll happily buy uh, buy buy a new film but one of the things that really confuses just probably anybody that wants to get into film is the at first you think well does anybody make film and then you realize actually yes loads of people make film and then the next point is well which film is right for <coughs> me and the problem is you don't even know what's right you, you have no idea what's right for for me because you just nobody knows that until you've actually done it so to be able to go on there and actually at least see who's making what and get some basic detailed information about uh, each film i think is just hugely useful yeah and and to be completely honest with you you know that that question of or the answer to the question of which film is right for me i mean that that's the journey you know that is the is is it, it is such a wonderful place to be when you don't know 
um, what's going to work for you because you've got so much to experiment with. You've got so much to look forward to. And there's this entire world out there that, that is you know, completely open because it, it doesn't matter what, what person A has done with Tri-X or T-Max or, or you, know, what, you know, whatever film is out there. You know, as a person in that particular position, when you're just starting out, you've got the ability to define your own path because film as a medium, even within a specific format, or sorry, a specific film stock in a specific format, there's so much movement, there's so much space that you can maneuver just within there. That, you know, it, it, it's a lifelong journey to, 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 to find out what's there. And some people have an accelerated pace and they'll find out relatively quickly what works for them. Um, and some people don't. And they, you know, they, they'll find after... There was one chap on Twitter, and I won't name him, and, um, you know, he's a big fan of black and white. He's been shooting... You know, he was shooting, I believe, relatively modern black and white film stocks. And there was something that that Imalsev did with, and the rest of the community all did together. And, and this particular guy said, I haven't shot that for 20 years, but I, I like what I see here. I'm going to go back to it. Let me try that. And then for, you know, the next two, three, four iterations that we had of this particular event, I mean, this person, you know, as a lifelong photographer, as a teacher, um, has actually found a new and appreciative love for, for something that he discounted two decades ago. It, it, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, I, I guess I would like to be in a position to, to be able to say to kind of people who are coming to film from the first, you know, for the first time or for digital native guys who are coming back to film or for lifelong film photographers, I, you know, I'd like to be able to offer, you know, one piece of information to all of these different people which I guess is kind of the motivation for having that kind of eclecticness of, of articles, you know, whether it be a, you know, build a, a semi-automatic processor or just, you know, learn how to do a darkroom print or, you know, here's how you use a C41 kit, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a, that, that kind of, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the, uh, you know, Richard Feynman called it the pleasure of finding things out. You know, it's that that kind of hit that you get when you learn how to do something for the first time. And I'm, I'm a really big believer in just, you know, that that, that that's my dope. <laughs> you know, that that's the kind of thing that gets me going. So actually I, being able to pass that on to other people is really important. And I, I got exactly that feeling when you, at the moment you're also doing, uh, you've been doing uh, a feature on, on uh, Hasselblad and their lenses. Oh, that's the other bane of my life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, keep keep up the good work. I say. We'll say they 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 the two bits that interest me most at the moment. Um, but you've 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 been running through Hasselblad lenses, which in particular that's that's something that um, is is close to me at the moment because having I say recently bought one. It's been a while now since I bought it, and I've only shot one roll of film, and it's still not digitized. Um, but it's. It, it, it's it's been it's been very interesting just reading through where uh, the the different uh, aspects and the different versions of uh, of of the lenses because it's a little bit confusing because there are lots of different uh, eighty millimeter planars for instance and you know, so what is the difference between this one and that one and uh, and you've 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 certainly helped to demystify uh, some some of that forming I'm looking forward to uh, the next section because I've got a, a CB uh, planar um, eighty mil. And uh, which I'm looking uh, forward to see what, uh, you, what, you, what you've got to say about that. 
you, you're gonna have you, you're gonna have to wait until probably the the part after next because the next part is going to be focusing on the f and fe lenses which are, are being used well they're, they're used with the focal plane bodies with the 200 and 2000 series right. um so the, the, the cbs i'm going to be dealing with um with the cfi and cfes because they all they all came about at the same time but you know to be honest um optically the cb lenses are just as good um, if not better than the, the CF predecessors, because you know a lot of them had um, optical updates to the number one, but there were there's also a bunch of you know, a whole bunch of um, kind of uh, ergonomic updates, usability updates, as well as components updates as well. So you know with the CB you've got like a carbon fiber you know filter ring and all of that kind of stuff that's built on it. You you lose you lose a bit of functionality, but to be honest for for most of the people shooting Hasselblads at the time of their release, and for nearly everyone shooting Hasselblads today, the functionality that that was lost is just—it's zero impact. You know, there, there's there, there's nothing that you will lose. Well, it's 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 interesting. We've we've hardly talked about Hasselblads, um, so I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about Hasselblads a little bit. And something I learned from. Uh, an appearance that you had on the Sunny 16 podcast, and that's that you use a, um, a Hasselblad with a focal plane shutter, which frankly I didn't even know existed because I I thought they all just had uh, shutters just built into the uh, lenses. So, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and why that's that works for you? Yeah. So, all right. So, um, Hasselblad for 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 people who don't know, I mean their their first camera back in. 48 1948 um was a focal plane camera it was a focal plane shutter camera um the you know victor hasselblad had a very long um very fruitful relationship with uh, with george eastman um they met in uh, the uk whilst uh, victor was on his honeymoon actually of all places um <clears throat> and through the years you know but and i think that was in the the late, when was that? Early 1900s, late 1800s. Anyway, they met um, and they they struck up this friendship. And at the end of World War II, when when Hasselblad essentially created their first consumer version of a um, military camera that they had acquired, let's say, um, that particular camera was <clears throat> uh, was built with a focal plane shutter. And actually, even at the time, I think the guy who designed, so, so, so they ran an internal design competition. And I believe the guy who's responsible for the design of the first Saabs um, was responsible for at least part of the design of the first Hasselblad, which is the 1000F. And that's 1000 f for focal plane shutter so these cameras were essentially built like 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 timepieces for want of a better word and they were released with uh, kodak uh, ektar 80 mil 2.8 lenses um and over the the kind of next five or five to eight years they went through various iterations the cameras weren't particularly reliable and I believe in the late, mid late fifties, um, because, you know, in part with the complexity and reliability issues of those shutters, Hasselblad decided, okay, well, we're gonna kill this focal plane. 
and they they ended up going with um, uh, Compor, uh, with you know the, the synchro Compor lenses, and they they, they devised a system with uh, Zeiss um, where they could integrate the Compor sh- uh, Compor shutters into Zeiss lenses, and and they'd have this kind of barn door system in the back to kind of you know allow light to pass through to the film plane, and the the you know the focal plane shutters were were dead. And it, it wasn't until the early 70s that they started again with the uh, focal plane. Um, the, the, the reason why is, uh, at the moment, kind of relatively unclear to me. But essentially, um, there, it looked like there was a desire to uh, match and exceed the specifications provided by Pentax and Mamiya and various other um kind of, you know, six by six format camera vendors at the time and to say, right, well, you know, we, we don't want a camera that's going to be limited to one five hundredth of a second. We want it to go to a thousand. So Hasselblad released this 2000 series, uh, which is called the FC, standing for focal plane and C for Compore. So essentially it was a camera that could use both um, the focal plane shutter and it could use the, the you know, the C lenses at the time. Um, which would allow people who are shooting the cameras in the studio to to essentially get flash sync across all shutter speeds. Um, and they they continued to to release iterations of the 2000 series up until I think it was a late late 80s, very early 90s. And the last iteration they made was the 2003 FCW. Um, which was essentially a camera with the the new PalPass kind of um, uh, anti-reflective coating inside the body, and you know you could take the manual winder off, you could slap a, um, a, a an auto winder on there, it had a self timer, blah 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 blah. But you know the whole problem with this 2000 series was that that shutter, which was made of titanium, you know, kind of literally kind of hair thin titanium, was still quite fragile so you know occasionally someone would slap their finger through it or they'd they'd not be looking when they'd you know stick it back onto the body and then bang you know the corner of the film magazine would go through the shutter so they retired those and then they they, they came out with this two uh, 200 series um which started off with a 205 tcc which is a tone con- tone contrast and control and that, that that was a camera that had its essentially had its manual and had a accompanying document uh, co-written by by Ansel Adams um, and that it, essentially it was the idea was it's a Hasselblad it has a complete manual mode because you can just use that it has a complete auto mode so you can go auto aperture um, it has um, full ISO data and aperture data being passed into the body um, and uh, if you want there's actually there's even a zone a zone system metering mode as well where you can go into the camera you set the zone mode and you can go and say okay here's the zone that i'm you know i'm placing as you know that i'm placing this photo in <clears throat> the camera will record that information so that when afterwards you want to go and develop the film you know that you've you've placed all 12 exposures or 16 exposures or 32 or 24 exposures um in this particular zone um so you can then go and meter based on that. And that, that two, 200 series, I think, carried on until about 2001, mm-hmm. maybe 2002. And yeah, there, there, there's, there's various versions. There's, there's some which have the metering, some which don't, some which have the 
or, you know, the aperture priority, some which don't. Um, and all of these cameras, they've got a, a rubberized, you know, um, focal plane shutter, but they also top out at 1,000. They, 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 for the most part, they don't go higher than 1,000th of a second. That's that. I mean, that's certainly something that I, I noticed with with mine, hasn't it? So it tops out at five hundred. But uh, yep. the the in, the interesting advantage of uh, the one with the focal plane shutter, which the, just the, the normal five hundred series can't do, is that it allows you to do your adaptations, shall we say? So you can yes. pretty much put anything on that will. Uh, cover the uh, cover the film plane. Um, like I say, one of the I mentioned earlier, one of the photographs that you had that, that I placed up, it, it had an enormous uh, uh, projection lens. At least that's what I think it was. Um, so, uh, so doing that on a on Hasselblad, that, that, that is, is was my, amazing. Um, yeah, that that, that was my uh, Aeroactar. So that's uh, the Aeroactar one seventy eight two point five. So that that's a camera that you, uh, sorry, that's a lens. That used to be in a um, uh, essentially it's a, a, a military camera produced by Kodak um, for the U.S. Air Force, um, and that that particular camera. And you can go and check out. Um, oh God, what is it called? Um, uh, Dancing with speeds. So that that's um, it's a it's a Facebook group. Um, that's run by some incredibly insane people um and what they what they have done is essentially spent the last 20 years finding these lenses which are fantastic portraiture lenses they have this crazy swirly bokeh they've got this you know all, all, all of the stuff that you're looking for from a um from a, a kind of a vintage portrait lens, this particular lens does. And you know, th th those guys have gone and adapted this particular lens onto the speed graphic, onto uh, Graflex Ds, Graflex RBs. And um, you know, you've got people like uh, uh, John Minix, you've got people like uh, Dave Burnett, who's a um, very, very, very famous pro photographer. Um, just a, he's a, a press photographer that's, um, that's been around, you know, he used to shoot for life and various other people. You know, they're, they're, these guys are out there using this lens as a portrait lens. And I've, I've spent the last two years trying to figure out how to get this lens onto my, my Hassie. See, see, this is something that uh, uh, amazes me, really, because, um, and it shows the, the level of confidence that, that you have, because um, I've only managed to shoot one roll of film so far in, in the Hasselblad, because I'm, I'm still uh, more than a little bit and, and, um, intimidated by it, because I, it's, it's this thing that, um, you know, it's a Hasselblad, therefore I've got to take amazing photographs, and I know that's a complete load of nonsense, and you should just get out there and use it, and it's not as if like I'm paying much for the film, because I've got most of the stuff for free anyway, and I can develop black and white myself, so it's it's not really a cost issue, but it's this thing about this mental block that I have about doing it doing it justice, But and, and that's one of the, the big appeals of having a digital camera and adapting lenses to a digital camera, uh, because it's relatively cheap to do it um, and you get to see the results straight away you know whether you're going to like it like it or not and it's not it's not cost you anything um, whereas you're doing this on film you know that something that really matters that physically is costing you money every time you do it and you're experimenting that way my, my hat goes off to you right so 
Um, two very quick things. Number one, can we take a very quick break? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I'll be back in 47 seconds. You can guess what I need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we, we don't normally have musical breaks, but I might just slip one in there this time. We'll see, see, see what happens. <laughs> hang on, hang on, two takes. Welcome back, Em, and um, perhaps you might want to continue that line of thought. Oh, thank you very much. I feel relieved. Um, yeah, so uh, two things. I, I already said the first. Um, the second point is don't don't be don't be scared to hassle the blad. Um, <laughs> sorry, it had to be done. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, look, I mean, it's a camera. It's if it's if it's a Nikon or a Sony AR or if it's whatever you know it's just a camera and it has <clears throat> it's a really picky bastard of a camera because just like every other camera it wants to have a lens that is seated x number of millimeters between you know the mouth of its lens uh, the, you know the mouth of its mount and, and and the film plane and so when it comes to shooting the camera just go and shoot it it, it doesn't care what you shoot it's not going to judge you and you know, when it comes to putting a different lens onto the front of that camera, well, as long as you exceed that distance that it requires, um, it really doesn't matter what that lens is. Now, that could be another Hasselblad lens that wasn't made for that particular body. Um, it could be another large format lens, which, you know, needs a couple of extra centimeters. All you need to do is figure out, you know, figure out what that gap needs to look like. And it may be that, all that gap is is a you know a Hasselblad 2x kind of mount, um, <clears throat> and then you can shoot a lens. But oh, you know, I can only shoot that lens um, at macro distances because it's too far. So you know, and you know, you guys know this stuff. It's when you want to adapt one, you know, lens A to body B as long as you understand how far that lens needs to be from the film plane or the sensor in order to achieve infinity, that that's, that's essentially all you need. Now, if that distance is going to be exceeded, so let's say the lens needs five centimeters, but actually you can only give it nine, then all you need to understand is, well, what, what is that extra four centimeters going to give me? And that will normally mean close distance. It might, it might mean macro distance. Um, now you can get creative. You can put a, a kind of, you know, a solid mount in between the lens and the camera to do what you want. Or you can say, well, actually, I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a, a, a helicoid adapter, which is going to get me from, you know, 10 centimeters to, I don't know, 40 centimeters. So I know if I put lens A on camera B with, with this helicoid adapter, well, actually I can focus between, five feet and 10 centimeters. Um, so, so, you know, adapting lenses doesn't change because of the camera, uh, because of the, the nature of the camera that's on it. It changes because of the, you know, the, the, the mathematical requirements in order to mount lens A onto lens B. So, you know, with, with Hasse lenses or with Hasse cameras, 
specifically, you know, you'd, you'd be looking at, yeah, you know, projection lenses or large format lenses, um, just because they, they tend to have distances, you know, the, the, the flange focal distance, distances which are, are greater than the 74.9 mil that's offered to you by the, um, by the Hasselblad. So if you want to use a Leica a color plan, you know, the 90, use a Leica 152.8, you can do it. If you want to go and find, a, I don't know, a Schneider Zenitar 152.8, you want to use an Aero XR 178 2.5, you want to use, you know, XYZ lens, of course, you, you, you can adapt it. You just need to, you need to figure out what that, that mounting method is going to look like. But I, I am right in thinking, though, that what you're saying there really only applies to Hasselblad with a focal plane shutter. Because... No. Well, how how would you control? <laughs> okay, um, how how do you actually control the, the your shutter speed when you haven't got a shutter built into the lens, such as with a, a five hundred cm? Right. I mean, it, it it does limit you somewhat, but it doesn't it doesn't preclude adaptation. So if you've got a five hundred, a five hundred one, five hundred three, um, actually, you can as long as, as, as let's say you want to mount. Um, a large format lens. As long as that, that large format lens requires a, a distance to film of greater than 74.9 millimeters, and as long as you can screw that lens or mount that lens onto your Hasselblad, um, and as long as that lens has a shutter, which, which most modern large format lenses do, then you can shoot it. The question is, is, you know, the question of the value, if you will, of doing that depends on how much you like the lens. And, mm. and that, that, that's what it all boils down to. And my, you know, my, my own personal preference when buying you know, glass is to buy stuff that I like the look of and then adapt it down to the smallest possible format that it will go on to. So if I like that, you know, Kodak Ektar, 127 4.5 then it's like okay well i know i can then go mount that all the way down to my Leica. right i i, th I think i should have been a little bit more specific there when uh, because i was talking perhaps more about the projection lenses that you, that you were using which don't don't have a shutter built into the lens yeah so really you just i suppose <coughs> really could use a, a really really slow film and do it the old-fashioned way and just put a cap over the end of it or something like that perhaps yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you can use, essentially, you could use lenses like that. I mean, depending on how adept you are with a with a, a, a release cable um, and depending on the type of photography that you want to you want to do. Um, yeah, I mean, you could use a projection lens with a slow film or even a fast film with, a, you know, maybe like a, a, a you know, big stopper, like a, you know, a ten stop ND or something like that, or just use it for nighttime photography, where you control the, um, you know, the, the the rear doors of the Hasselblad as your um, essentially as a as a as a bulb shutter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so so yeah. I mean, the, I, you know, the, I think in in all the years that I've been doing this, I've I've known, um, let me think, zero Hasselblad five five hundred <laughs> users. <laughs> Uh, adapting shutterless lenses onto their bodies. However, I know a couple of guys, and what what they've done is they've taken the um, oh god, what is it? It's the the two fifty millimeter Hasselblad lens, and they essentially they've had it machined, so they've chopped the front off it, 
um, had a, a thread mount mounted on onto the front of that lens, and then they'll mount other lenses, including proje uh, projection lenses, onto yeah. that onto that kind of what's left, yeah. um, because yeah. that way you get the helicoid for focusing and you get the shutter as well to one five hundredth. It's funny you say that um, because I. I, I I started I had this project where I was thinking about doing a similar sort of thing back a few years ago, um, and I was looking around at at ways to do that. And one of the things that I actually looked at was the the focal plane shutter Hasselblads. And you know, part of the word on the street was as soon as you start looking into them, is oh no no don't touch them. Nobody repairs them anymore. If you get them, you're going to end up at some point with a, a Hasselblad that just doesn't work. Um, so that's part one that I thought I would bring up. And part two is I, I actually, what I ended up doing because I just had it on hand was I realized that I could use my, um, Mamiya RZ pretty much in the way you've just described, which is, um, I right. use the, the, basically the shutter in the camera as a bulb mode. And then I realized if I put an RB lens on the front of the RZ that has a, you know, uh, the, the shutter in the lens and took the optical group out, I could now mount lenses in front of the shutter <laughs> yes. and use that. And, and it works. I mean, it works great. I've, yeah. I've used all sorts of like enlarger lenses and stuff. And now I'm like, well, yeah, I could put an arrow actar in front of that thing. You know, I could, I could probably make that work. Um, no, but I, I, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the thing to, the thing to concern yourself about when you're, when you're looking at large format lenses is actually, you know, a, like, so my, my, my arrow actar is a 178 mil lens. But actually, that doesn't mean that the lens needs to be 178 mil from right. the from the from the film exactly. plate. Yeah. With, with my specific lens, I think it's 122 uh, 123.8, um, and there, there, there's a lot of standardized kind of you know like a Schneider super angulons or Schneider Simars and stuff like that. You know, you might get like a, a 90 or a 150 or a 180, but but actually these lenses only need. I don't know, 65 or 85 or 120 between between the rear elements. Yeah, and everything's game. Yeah, and and that and that's where I why my my original thinking was to get the Hasselblad because it would be easier to mount a lot of these lenses because I I wouldn't have as big a space between you know that I would have to fill up and and part of the drawback with doing it on the RZ is that. Are, you know, not everything's going to work because that yeah. the distance is is already too great in some cases. You know, um, yeah. So I, I so I re I really like the thinking of of doing exactly what you've done, and and I, I guess I didn't pursue it because I'm thinking, eh, I'm going to so much money into this. I've already got the RZ. I'll just do that. <laughs> but I but I I mean, I, to me, it's it really it really is um, a, gr a great way to think about doing it. You know. Um, so it's, I, I, yeah, I mean, I love that you've had so much success with it. No, I, th I think, you know, with, with, with the 2000 series, so essentially the 2000, um, the, the 2000 FC was the, the camera that, that determined the reputation of the 2000 series. Um, <clears throat> because every clumsy studio photographer who wasn't paying attention to what they're doing when I bought yeah. the 2000 series when it came out and then bang, they're put in the corner, you know, the sharp corner of the film magazine straight through the shutter. So when, when the 2000 um, 
FCM came out. So then that, that's the same as the 500C versus the 500CM. So essentially modified. So when the FCM came out, that included um, an, an, an idiot fix. And pretty much the only functionality there was when you take the film magazine off the back, the shutter just retracts. So it, get, it gets out of your way. So you can do whatever, you know, whatever the hell you want. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's just not there. Um, so a lot of the bad kind of um, the, ba- the bad vibes for the 2000 series really came from that, that original version. The FCM is, is, is fine. It's not repairable. Sure. It's the one that I started on. The next one is the 2000 FCW, which includes the, the winder version. Um, technically, that's not repairable by Hasselblad. Um, and then you've got the 2003 FCW, which is the updated version of that, which, um, according to uh, Hasselblad um, in the Far East um, and uh, Hasselblad New York, who I spoke to at the middle of last year, that camera is still repairable. Now, the problem is, is between the middle of last year to right now, there's been potentially some undisclosed new ownership of the company. And I know that Spares stock has been decimated as that's been sold on. So, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of getting a, a, a 200 or a, two, or a 2003 camera repaired today. But all that being the case, there are still people who are not only repairing 2000 series Hasselblads, but they're also replacing the 2000 series titanium shutter with rubberized cloth. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that are still doing that. And in fact, I'm sending my, my FCW over to, to one guy, hopefully next month um, to get that replaced. And it's going to cost around about $200. Awesome. So it can be done. Don't be worried about it. The main thing is if you're on eBay, if you're looking for this camera as a way to get into adapting medium and large format lenses onto, onto um, medium format cameras, you know, the main yeah. thing to do is when you, when you look at that listing, just check the, the status of the curtain. And if you can, talk to the seller and ask them to, to give you a picture of the shutter cocked and the shutter uncocked. So that will give you both curtains, so you can see what the, what what any particular you know any potential damage looks like. Awesome advice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I mean, I the other thing I'd I'd thought about as well. All right, I could, you know, I could get an I could get an old you know speed graphic, and I could get an Aeroectar on there. But I mean, there's a whole slew of problems there. I mean, I, you know, I'd rather shoot roll film, and I'd rather be able to actually view what I'm shooting easily. Yeah. So I. I, I really like the approach that that you have of, you know, of using the the focal plane Hasselblad. I mean, that's great. Well, you, you know, the the other option that that you can try is you 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 buy a cheap old Kiev. You know, the the the, 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 the Kiev um, uh, P six mount and the Hasselblad mount uh, separated by literally literally just a few millimeters. In fact, when I sold when I sold all of my my P6 gear, the only lens that I kept was the 30mm uh, Zodiac B, which is the the fisheye, you know, 30, it's 30mm um, 3.5. And I, I I sent that over to to uh, a guy that I know in Hong Kong and he just he he chopped off the the P6 mount and he he slapped a a V mount on there instead. So I now use that camera for my, for my Hassie. And it's, you know, it's like a 10th of the price of the, um, of the, the CF. Wow. 
So, you know, you, you can't go with the P6 mount and, you know, the guys, the, 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 there's a whole bunch of guys in, in China and in Russia and, you know, they'll, they'll do like, you know, P6 to X and then you can go and use that to then just, you know, add on whatever lenses you want off the top of that. Um, I've just got, I've got a, a, a question for you. I've, I've got, as you, as you've already said, I've got a planar, uh, 80 millimeter, 2.8, uh, Hasselblad lens, which I've got, uh, I use with a, a couple of adapters, um, one going to Nikon and then Nikon to Sony. And, um, that was one of the first things I did actually, you know, long before I actually used the Hasselblad, the first thing I did really with it was to try and use the lenses <laughs> from them. Um, but I was, uh, I was actually quite disappointed um with with the results apart from the fact that you know it's a big lump of a lens and you've got you know fair fair chunk of adapters sitting out in front and this is going on to a sony full frame camera and <coughs> when i actually took some photographs with it i was it, it just didn't do anything for me and i was expecting yeah. some something wonderful um yeah. have you any idea why that might might be the case well i, I think i mean the the difference between lenses optimized for film and lenses optimized for digital, I think, has been made. You know that that point has been made numerous times. And you know you, you can look at even stuff that um, Voigtlander did with their with their ultra wides. Um, you know you've got the the uh, CV. What is it? The the, the Heli R15, yeah. and that that's gone through three versions. And first version, the second version, third version work fantastically on film, but the first two are absolutely terrible on digital because mm -hmm. you've got this really you know you've got the magenta shifts and weird kind of you know colors going all over the place for for Hasselblad specifically the CFE CFI lens well the CF CFI lenses I believe were optimized for the digital back well the first party digital backs that were coming out in the mid 90s at the same time as those lenses so when you're looking at like a, a C CF um an f an fe or a cb lens those lenses and, uh, and the, the the cfihi lenses you know the, those lenses are going to be optimized for film and that includes like you know the uv sonars and all of the crazy kind of special stuff that they did but if you if you look at the if you look at the cfis and to to appoint the cfes they should be opt uh, they should be optically optimized for shooting on hasselblad leaf and latterly Mamiya digital backs. That's probably why you're seeing that on the A7. But if you, I think I saw a photo uh, today. You were you, you had it adapted onto a an EOS, right? Yeah, that was that was a uh, an EOS One N. So felt that was right. A film well, camera. give it a shot. I mean, I I shot my my crappy, you know, non my my crappy single coated. 50 mil Distagon F4 on my F100 with movie film, and it's it's just so vibrant. It's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's the same way you take a uh, an old you know 51.5, 51.4 uh, Canon lens, or you take a you know e even an old an old Leica lens like the Elmar N or the uh, you know the Tele Elmer at the 90. You, you put that onto a Leica digital body, it's not going to look fantastic. Um, because you know, what does digital want? Now, right. it wants. Yeah. Now, my 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 theory on this 
and this is something that I, I think Johnny disagrees with with, with me on this. Um, and this, I've I've got this thing about a lens works best on the the format it was uh, designed for. When I say format, I'm talking about the size of the sensor. Um, so I'm not uh, necessarily doing Sony versus uh, anybody else in particular. But when we're talking digital, apart from there's only Sony and, and Leica uh, in the full frame mirrorless. Uh, sector and um i i so i actually put down my uh, apathy of that lens uh, because of it's just wasn't really designed to to sit on a, a sensor as small as a is a sony full frame sensor much in the same way as i i'm i'm not an advocate of uh, putting full frame lenses onto apsc or even or micro four thirds for that matter and I'm, I'm just wondering if that that would have any bearings i don't know if johnny you might want to step in on that one possibly <laughs> well yeah i mean my I, I my prejudice is pretty clear at this point i mean i i uh, i mean I, it's gotten to a point where everybody is is now saying and i'm gonna just i was joking about it this morning about trolling our own group where <laughs> where unless unless it is now a uh you know a, a 35 millimeter lens from a 35 millimeter system on a full frame Sony, it's, you know, you're not seeing the true character of that lens, which, you know, is utter BS because you're seeing the true character of that lens as it appears on Sony's full frame sensor, which is not the recording medium it was intended to be recorded on. So you're seeing something that's a hybrid to begin with. So once you're seeing a hybrid, I don't really see the difference between you know, a lot of it APS-C versus full frame when it comes to adapting the lenses because it's it's a different animal anyway. I, I mean, I get it from the standpoint of you want the 50 millimeter lens to have the field of view of a 50 millimeter lens. And I, I get that some people have a real issue with that. To me, it's like driving on the other side of the road in the UK. I just don't think about it and it's fine. I don't think about the uh, fact that so my, you, <laughs> you know, the, so, I don't, so, I don't so, think so, about that. Yeah, go ahead. You, you mean, you know, we drive on the left, you yeah, drive on the say, right, right, but right. we so drive it, correct side of the road. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, because so for instance, <laughs> let's say I was going to um, pop on over to the UK and borrow Hamish's Lambo. I would be just be like, all right, I can I can drive on the other side of the road. I'm just not going to no, no, think about correct. it. It's just, correct. yeah. Correct. Right. Yeah. You could even call it the correct side of the road. I have no problem with that. You know, I, it, it's, I just don't think about the fact that it's not the side I'm used to driving on it. You know, as I, long I as I don't. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're, you know, elitist, but absolutely correct. <laughs> I think, I think you know, it, look, you know, what does it all boil down to? Right. <laughs> Now, is what we're doing saying, well, this lens is correct for this camera, regardless yeah. of whether it's the medium that, that 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 lens was meant to support, or is what we're saying the the outcome, the product of this lens has given the photographer what they wanted to achieve. Totally. totally. And I think, you know, medium format lenses on 35 mil film. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're hit, sometimes they're miss. And I've had really, you know, a lot of really just happy accidents with, with film, um, with, with, you know, Hassi and other lenses working on, on Nikon bodies and, and, you know, smaller mm -hmm. bodies than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've had a lot of misses, 
and the ones that have worked worked because actually I managed to get what I wanted to achieve and it might not be to everyone's taste, but you know, I'm, I'm a happy bunny. Um, so no, I'm not saying that to pick on you or to, to diminish anything that you said there, by the way. <laughs> just, no, no, I, I, I understand exactly what you mean. Cause I, I, I've, I've done a good bit of that as well. And I, I for, for instance, I, you know, I picked up all of these older um, turn of the century Bausch and Lomb, you know, Tessars that were intended for large format. And I've messed around with adapting them on different formats, thinking how cool it would look. And it really doesn't. I mean, they just kind of look like a, a, you know, any average sort of rendering. There's nothing particularly special about them because they just don't, they just don't carry over to the smaller format. You know, I mean, I, I, th I think yeah. Tessar lenses are, yeah, I, I think Tessar lenses are a great example because, you know, and, and, and just to kind of throw back some bias here at Simon, I know he, he just, Tessars are absolute snoozers for, for Simon. He can't, you know, he doesn't, doesn't like them. And actually I kind of, it's like, okay, they render perfectly fine on 35 millimeter on smaller format. There's probably more Tessar formula lenses been made than any other lens in human history, you know, for, for smaller format camera, but where they really shine, if you look at a 300 millimeter, you know, Tessar on four by five, you want to talk about bokeh and rendering. I mean, you, that's why people love those things for all the wet plate work. You know, I mean, it's that lens is spec. Those lenses are spectacular on a larger format. So, I mean, they're, yeah, I think exactly. they're definitely, yeah. So there's definitely some truth to the fact that the lens just doesn't really render right on the format it wasn't well, designed it, for it's, I just, it, it, it's like this i mean if, if you take if you take a if you take an older um large format lens and you put it to medium format you take an older medium format lens you put it yeah. to 35 mil you, you even you even take a, a, a you know a 35 mil lens and you put it to mft let's take the um the helios for example there you go swirly bokeh blah 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 everyone knows what that lens is about okay if you, you take that lens from its original 35, you know, full frame kind of format and you go, right, I'm going to put this on a micro four thirds camera. What do you lose? Well, actually, you retain some of that center sharpness, which is great. But yeah. you lose that. You lose most of the swirly bokeh, which is why most people will want to shoot that. So you, you need to be. You need to be careful with the character of the lens as you're as you're kind of coming down in format. So, my my uh, Hassi Planar, for example, so that or Zeiss Planar, so that's a you know flat field, blah blah blah, nice and sharp, goes nice and close. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll happily shoot that on thirty five mil because I know that it's sharpest in the middle, and I know that when I shoot that on thirty five mil, I'm going to get the the same level of sharpness on thirty five mil film. Now. Okay, the larger real estate of a 120 six by six negative is going to increase the apparent sharpness of that film of, of, of the the end result. But if I go and say, uh, let's say, shoot a a roll of Shanghai on the Hasselblad with my Planar, and then I go and shoot a roll of Rolay Ortho on my 30 35 mil camera with the same lens, which one's going to be sharper? Actually, it's probably going to be the Ortho because the Ortho's got better resolving power. Yeah, yeah, you know the author will do what you know two seventy, two eighty, you know line mm -hmm. pairs per mil, whereas the Shanghai will do you know one, <laughs> or you know, or, 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 or right. you know. Actually, I know I, I think this because I, I I really really like Shanghai film, but but anyway, you you, you get my drift, and you know yeah. I shot a whole bunch of um, macros using that same Hasselblad Zeiss Planar on my Speed Graphic. 
And that lens will cover four by five. And the closer you get, the, the closer you get away from infinity, the bigger that image circle goes as well. So if you want to go and mm-hmm. shoot, um, you know, you want to go and shoot at, at 20, 30, 40 centimeters away from subject, you know, that little six by six lens will go and cover four by five. And I don't, I don't have a larger camera to test, but I'm guessing it'll go to five by seven. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess what, what I'm trying to say is, you know, as long as you get the result that you want, um, and if you're aware that the result that you will get is probably going to diminish the character of the lens somewhat, if it's not a, you know, well-corrected, you know, character full lens and all of that kind of stuff, then, you know, just, just, just do it. Yeah. I mean, it's right. fun. Yeah. I mean, that, and, that, that's, and, that's why you're doing it, right? I mean, it's just, that, you enjoy yeah. it. It's fun. You enjoy exactly. It. Yeah. And I, I guess my, my, my thought is that by the time, you know what, <laughs> APS-C 35 mil, that's all actually really small format. It, it, let's be honest here. I mean, it, by the, you know, if you jump up to six by six, it's a total different ball game. And I, I, I guess I've shot that stuff so much that I, this is smaller for, I just don't see that much difference between, oh my gosh, is it on a full frame sensor or an APS-C sensor? I mean, so what? They're, it's both on tiny sensors. It, as long as yeah, it's, I mean, as long as it's working okay and you're enjoying it, it's fine. You know? So yes. I, that, yes. That's where I say I'm, I'm trolling a bit our own, this own, this bias that's really developing between, oh my God, is it a, is it a full frame digital sensor or not because everything else is crap for adapting lenses and that's just bullshit so <laughs> yeah it, it, exactly you know the, the the method of getting the result you know yeah. especially for you guys where you're talking about you know xyz vintage lens on on abc camera you know the, the method of getting the result is is seriously tiny in comparison yeah. to yeah. what you know what 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 does that result give you how does that result make you feel does it make you feel good all right well do you know what don't listen to anyone else if you if you shot that on a on a you know APS-C or even smaller camera you know if you if you went and shot that on a Holger 110 digital but it gives you what you want then you know everyone else can can guff you know guff great sound effect there as well but yeah it's all right that's the guff the gaff effect. Nice. It didn't work this time. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just aware now that uh, it's certainly where Emma is. It's now tomorrow. Um, so I think we, we, we need to start to um, round things up a little bit. But, but before we uh, do finish off that, there was a section of the feedback I think we've, we've um, omitted, and that was... Um, um, oh yes yes you know where it's going now yeah so johnny do you want to uh, uh tell us a little bit more about one of the reactions to uh, i, I, the, I the just outtakes. i just want to say that, that yeah i just want to say that the ford taurus is a really fine automobile and it's made right here in chicago okay hey hey so, hey 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 what about the lesaber what about the lesaber <laughs> so i i will i will no, we, post we, a here right we 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 agreed we weren't going to talk about the taurus lesaber thing but jesus christ you had to bring it up didn't you <laughs> oh. i think Ham i think i think hamish brought it up which i think is where simon's going here is that that's right uh, we had yeah we had we had a bit of a you know that conversation that kind of throw a bit at the end and the outtakes it's about um 
about Hamish's review of the Canon uh, 51.4 LTM, um, uh, where, you know, he said basically it's, and I actually agree with his final outcome is that, hey, look, it's a fine lens by the standards of, of when it was released and what it does. It's just that for Hamish's taste personally at this point, he's got lenses that he likes better that suit that purpose better. And I agree with him when he's talking about, you know, the ZM sonar, which for me is my Lambo lens. You know, that lens is out of reach for me because it requires me to buy not just the ZM lens, but also a camera that's going to mount it. And that's just, I can't go there, you know? So, so that was the nature of my smart alecky comment about Hamish's Lambo. It, folks, Hamish doesn't have a Lambo. I was speaking metaphorically. Let's just make sure everybody knows that. I don't have a Ford Taurus, nor would I drive anything with the name F-O-R-D on it. Um, but I, I would love dearly to own a ZM Sonar at some point. And I can see why, you know, Hamish would choose the ZM Sonar, you know, that Voigtlander uh, 52.5 color scope bar, and even, you know, probably the Jupiter 8. Nah, not so much. I, that I, I, I got to draw the line there. I'm sorry. That, nah, not so much. Anyway, um, I, I'm a really big fan of that, the, the 51.4, uh, Canon lens, but I totally understand where, where Hamish is coming from. Um, uh, so anyway, Hamish, Hamish, uh, made, made a little video, um, kind of in response to uh, our commentary on his on his Lambo lens. Uh, so you definitely want to check that out on on 35 MMC. Um, and I think he's 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 also shared that in the classic lenses group, I believe. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. And I can look looks like we can drag it out for a while, maybe perhaps again here since we're talking about it in yet another episode of the classic lenses podcast look so someone needs to mention that lamborghinis still make tractors just saying <laughs> <laughs> and also by the way the ford taurus and the ford ranger are built on the same chassis so your pickup uh, truck is basically yeah 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 it, it, yeah it's chassis 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 sh 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 chassis <laughs> <laughs> chassis here in chicago it's chassis also um I, I think i mentioned that we we have a, a street in chicago called d-e-v-o-n avenue would would you two yeah, that'd be, that'd gentlemen De like Devin. to tell me how that's pronounced devon devon okay. it's devon you say like devon 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 a divan is what you sleep on, like a divan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, could, could, no. Whilst whilst we have you Americans on, so um, <laughs> Mary, Mary is in Mary Jesus's mother. Mary, I'm going to marry her. Merry Christmas, right? Mary, Mary, Mary. How do you pronounce those words? Mary. All, all of them. It's the same. They're all the Mary. same. They're all the same. All exactly. The the other one that's really good. There's a a rather famous uh, German uh, writer um, whose name starts with G. That I bet both of you can probably name this writer. Um, uh, do you know who I'm talking about? 
Popgeld af. Okay, well, it, it, I, I would just, the, the, the proper pronunciation of Goethe in Chicago is Gethy. So there you go. Gethy. Gethy. Because that's well, how that, you, that's, that, if, you, if you read all the letters, that's how it's spelled. So. Yeah, well, that, anyway, that, yeah. That, that ended this particular segment of the podcast. No, well, yeah. well done, chaps. <laughs> I think, yes, on, on that bombshell. Um, um, actually, for, 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 our, um, for our listeners there. There's um, no did, Gerda fans here. I mean, no. what? Maybe some maybe some upset Germans will comment yeah. about I th- Gerda. I think, this is, I think this is what happens when, when Carl leaves the podcast, which uh, those of you listening <laughs> yeah. will be thinking, I haven't heard Carl for a while, and, and you, you're absolutely right. He left us about. Uh, about 15 minutes ago or so I, th- I think he went to get a life I think um, but, uh, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, Pam's accosted him at yeah. home because like eight boxes showed up from yeah. eBay and now he's in really deep trouble well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say that Carl, Carl will appear uh, as if by magic uh, in, in, the, in the credits, so uh, just to confuse things further. Um, but um, for, for, for now, um, Johnny, um, would you like to tell us how people can keep up with you and whenever you're at on social media in real life? Sure. Um, you, you, can, you can find me. Uh, I'm, I swear I'm going to get better at I'm going to catch up this weekend on Instagram. I back up my daily posting um that, but anyway that, I, that I, will be the instagram account that we keep telling people every week no, to put a, to put a hashtag that on that, uh, that and then we'll we'll uh, feature them is, is is it that one johnny no that's another one that, I'm oh, at, right. that okay. i haven't been keeping up with um you you can find me on instagram at sisson photography uh you can find me uh most days at uh, central camera company in chicago you can find me trolling the classic uh, photography with classic lenses facebook group um, you can also find me at the Petri Greenomatic Cult. Uh, I guess I should have mentioned that my my big uh, Petri Greenomatic review uh, article review, whatever, um, did go uh, live on 35 MMC this week. So there's that. And that's a great review, uh, by the way. I thought it was. Oh, really, thank you. It really, thank really you, good. Thank you. And I gotta write more of those, but it, it's it was a lot of fun. Um, and also, uh, please look up the. Um, the beautiful grainy mush facebook group which is it came out of another conversation about film photography there's that one you'll find me there um and you can uh email us is it time for me to throw that out oh yeah go for it okay. actually i think M knows the the address better than i do M, you want to do the address that's cruel <laughs> no he said it earlier <laughs> That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember. Yeah, it's uh, theoreticalphotographers at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, it would be uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. And Cole? Um, and so you can um, see me mostly on the Photography with Classic Lenses Facebook page, also on Instagram, and then also um, Flickr. And then? Uh, yeah, you can find me at the Lamborghini Appreciation Society, which is 35mmc. <laughs> no, it's not. You can find me at emulsive.org. Um, I'm on social media as Emulsive Film, and you can find me on, well, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Google+, Medium, Pinterest, Reddit, Instagram. That's the other Google+. Plus. Is that yeah, still well, you know, 
Someone told me I had to do it, so I, I did it, and it's still being done. But the the places where I hang out the most are really is the um, uh, the Twitter account, so uh, twittercom film uh, instagram.com film or you can find me on Facebook, mostly under that that crazy film gas factory group. Well, thank you very much for being our guest today, and. Uh in particular for taking us places we've never been to before. Um, I'm really, really sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it's been, been great having you on. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Cheers, I'll, I'm going to wrap up. Um, uh, I'm on, uh, where am I on? I'm on Facebook. I'm in Photography with Classic Lenses Group. Um, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Uh, I'm on Flickr is Simon Forster. I've got my website, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk, which you can buy uh, K&F adapters from there. Um, less than I sell them for on eBay. Uh, so there's a little discount for, for going that way. Um, I want to say thank you to Kevin McLeod of in- Incompetech.com for the Octo Blues theme music that we use. Um, I actually sent him a, uh, an email uh, last week to say, oh no, I've, I should have been, I should have been uh, mentioning you every week for the last twenty six weeks, and I'm really sorry, um, <laughs> having read the, the proper terms and conditions of use. And uh, he, he, said, he kindly sent me an email back saying, thank you for being a conscientious user. So I thought that was that was nice, and he hasn't he hasn't sued me. So so that's uh, that's that's really good news. Um, so uh, finally, um, I hope you've uh, enjoyed uh, the podcast this week, and it'd be great if you can join us again next week. Goodbye. Em, have, have, have you actually listened to the show? Yes. Oh, How that's good. F- you? <laughs> <laughs> He's listened to it more times than I have, probably. Exactly. Johnny, Johnny doesn't. Listen to this show. I'm just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Whilst we're recording, I'm gonna build an effigy of you and piss on it. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just about going to do the same for for, for yourself, Em, uh, which is so you can uh, list all the places where you're at, and and if you want to do any shout outs while you're on as well, just just go go straight into them. So uh, so three, two, one, and 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 Em. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we, should we do that again? See, I, I couldn't actually manage to say and M properly without stumbling over it. Uh, difficult. I mean. It's t- Letters, it's like one syllable. <laughs> <laughs> the letter. Well, let's just, just, let's just, let's. Okay, no, we'll do it properly. Um, and M. And just, just something else while uh, um, Johnny's typing that. When Carl left, he sent us a little note because obviously we've got our main chat room just for the for the podcast, and uh, he put in there saying, "I'm I'm going off uh, here in a moment." Blah blah blah. And um, he didn't. He didn't type it in the, in the right place. He actually typed it in the uh, the equivalent of this chat room that we have for Hamish. So he basically <laughs> apologised for Hamish for going. Um, and, <laughs> nice. And then, and Hamish gave him a little wave back. Yeah, <laughs> didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, I just saw I just saw Johnny's um, <clears throat> application for the uh, for the gas group. 
I've just I, opened it. I haven't even answered fine. it yet. So you're going to have to do it again. I know. That, that's why, because you didn't answer for anything. Oh, you're did I? have to do it again. <laughs> you know, I pro- you know what? No, I, I have I just, found, I just, actually. I've done it again. A- <laughs> Get in there, Johnny, quick. I've opened it. I still have to answer the questions. I think the first time I might have done this, I might have done it on my phone, and the questions don't always show up. Oh, Sometimes I'm I- sorry. I just declined you again. Oh. <laughs> I haven't even answered the questions yet. <laughs> <laughs>